In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mark face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 312. That's right. This is our, uh, Black Panther movie talk. So, yeah, we're gonna get into it. Mark and I both saw the movie. I think we've both seen it once, right? Correct. Yeah, we've both seen it once, and we're gonna go ahead and, uh, launch into it. Um, I know, Mark, you're more the movie guy, so how do you wanna handle it? Where do we wanna start? Why don't before we start dissecting the movie? Why don't Why don't you Why don't we just give our initial or overall thoughts on the movie? I thought why don't we just do that? Okay, uh, I thought it was good. Um, I thought it was also overhyped, though. Um, the there's a lot. Don't get me wrong; it's a great movie. Uh, I enjoyed it all the way through. I it may end up uh, in my top five Marvel movies. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing in this movie that I'm going to sit there and be like, just trash or say, you guys are all idiots for loving this movie or anything to that effect. Uh, I did enjoy it and, uh, it was a, a pretty fantastic, uh, entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and movie overall. But people made it seem like it was this groundbreaking film. It was a game changer for the MCU, like this whole thing. And, I didn't walk out of that theater, you know, just slack jawed, going like, "Oh man, I gotta tell everybody and my and their mothers to go see this movie." Um, I definitely recommend people go see it. It's a it is a good flick, but again, it was it's not the entire hype for this movie made it seem like, "God, man, if you don't go see it like right away, you're really missing out and you're really depriving yourself of something." You know, it's just like. That's not how I felt when I was watching that film. Um, sounds a lot of negativity, even though I'm trying to temper <laughs> that. But, you know, it, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the, the characters were fantastic. Uh, the setting, the world building was really well done. Um, you, you, of course, knew a bit about T'Challa, Black Panther, Wakanda um, from the Civil War flick. But at the same time, you you really knew nothing. Um, so the fact that they were able to do this film and just suck you in so completely, uh, especially into a world that we really truly, truly knew nothing about, um, uh, that's a huge achievement. Um, and the fact that you walk out of there caring as equally about characters uh, other than T'Challa um, – as you do of with T'Challa, that's that's a huge achievement as well. Um, the soundtrack 
I mean, I've, I've been rocking that soundtrack since, uh, the week before the movie came out. So when the, when the, when the soundtrack released, I've been listening to it. Uh, and this movie just provided greater context for it. So I've been enjoying it even more. So top to bottom, it's a great film. But again, like I said, I, I don't think it just, not that it doesn't deserve the hype. It just didn't live up to the people <laughs> essentially holding megaphones, telling everybody <laughs> on social media and they run into to go see Black Panther. So. Chad, you're ignorant slut. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My turn is done. Oh, I'm kidding. Uh, no, the, the re- ultimately the reason why we know, and we'll talk about this towards the end of the show more, uh, the, the cultural significance of this movie, and and that it, and I agree that that is what that is what makes this movie super special to many people. And along with something you touched upon, which was the character development. I mean, the character, there are a lot of interesting characters in this movie. Uh, and they do a good job at developing these characters, good and bad, or re, or further developing. Like, obviously, like Claw, you know, we, we knew about him um, a little bit. We got, you know, we got our introduction to him thing in Ultron, uh, which I was just watching last night. Uh, I've been catching up. And I actually started rewatching Civil War, which I had watched a thousand times when they first added it back onto Netflix. But now, you know, because of the Black Panther tie-in, I want to I want to go back and actually watch it and pay attention to it, as opposed to putting it on and fall asleep to it because I know it so well. So I think from a I think yes, yeah, like the characters, the characters really, really do drive this movie. I I know I kind of know. I can honestly say I went in and I didn't feel disappointed from a hype perspective, which often uh, can happen for me. So I did not, I did not necessarily think it was that overhyped. I do think a lot of the hype, again, is is related to the, a, a game changer from a cultural perspective, role model perspective, things like that. That part is that part is true. I think, but as a movie. I liked it. I right now I, I kind of did a. Oh, I feel like I contradicted myself. First, I said I'm not going to bother doing any more re-rankings of the Marvel movies, at least until Ant-Man comes out, because the fact that we have two more movies coming out, like in the next four four months, four to five months, so there's kind of no, no point in reshuffling the chairs on the deck of the Titanic at this point. But I kind of said, oh, what what the hell? Let's let me let me try to redo it. And I do I did put Black Panther in the top five. I think it might be five. Uh, it's going to be hard for me, and I actually watched Iron Man the other day too, the original. It's going to be hard to push for me to ever push out the original Iron Man and the, the first Avengers movie because of how relevant they were. Besides the mm-hmm. fact they were enjoyable movies, and you know that, and that, and, and it's kind of hard to look at now because it's been over ten years since we, ten years of Tony Stark of of Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. It's kind of it's kind of hard to imagine a world where we didn't have that that character and that actor playing him, but that's what it was when Iron Man came out. And if Iron Man didn't work, then we still would have had movies. But this whole tying everything in together would not have been as you know as, probably as high a priority goal, or it would have been handled in a different fashion. Plus, it's weird seeing Robert Downey Jr. look so young. You realize how young he looked still when he did the you know when he did the uh, the first one, but. 
Avengers and Iron Man, because of how significant they were, are always going to be in that top five. And then there's a lot of some movies that kind of hang in there. I mean, I, I have Civil War still. I think I have First Avenger because I really liked First Avenger. But Guardians 2 moved up a little for me, too, now that I've watched it 5,500 times on Netflix. So I, I do have Black Panther in the top five. I, you know, they did, it was very smart. And, and this isn't a knock. This is just a reality. They were very smart, Marvel was, to introduce this character in a very interesting and positive way in Civil War. So he got to hit the ground running in a way that pretty much nobody else really has in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So he, he, you know, he he wasn't. It wasn't like a question mark. You know, we had it wasn't a blank slate like Ant Man or Doctor Strange, where you know it, you kind of know going in what it kind of sort of should be based on the books if you read them. But you know, Black Panther, pretty much is kind of a overall. He's probably more of an obscure character certainly than Doctor Strange, and probably more than Ant Man if you factor in all the incarnations of Hank Pym, let alone anybody else playing Ant Man or. And playing one of the, including, you know, Giant Man and all the different variations of that tech. But still, you know, they they were very smart, and they, they I think they kind of knew that this could be something special. And it was. And I was, yeah, I can honestly say I was not disappointed, I was not disappointed in the movie at all. I mean, there are bits and pieces, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about as we nitpick, or talk about, we may nitpick as we talk about things that, you know, plot points and things that happen in the movie but the movie overall and like the, the, the performances that people zeroed in on like Letitia Wright as Shuri uh, and things like that in particular that yeah I, I, I can't really see a lot I'm certainly much more lock and step with the critics when it comes to this movie than certainly like Last Jedi <laughs> and the audience seems overall the audience seems to be more in that same vein than as opposed to you know Last Jedi, which was certainly a divisive movie, regardless of where you happen to fall on that you know debate. Yeah. Um. All right. So just getting into it, some of the things I I didn't like. Uh. Just because just I might as well get it out of the way. We'll we'll this guys. This episode will be largely a love fest for this movie. Again, I'm not trying to bring us down, but I just want to explain my, <laughs> my position here. Uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to bring us down, but since I'm going, since I am going to bring us down, let's get it out of the way right now. I'm going to get it. I just, I, other than kind of, well, not even that. Like a lot of this movie felt largely predictable to me. I mean, the, it didn't take any really shocking turns for me. There wasn't uh, a moment that I felt, oh crap. Uh, that happened like I felt like it was and forgive me because I mean I was definitely paying attention to the movie but I've only seen it once so some of these newer characters their names don't sink in um what's his name who sided with Killmonger and uh and uh was T'Challa's friend or whatever uh Anjobu there was that no yeah Anjobu oh I'm I'm not sure no uh Wakaba Wakabi Wakabi was the one Okay, um, Wakabi, you know, his, his turn, I mean, that's, that felt predictable to me because you could, you could just sort of tell by his reaction to things. Um, you know, the, the whole, um, thing, the, 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 you know, technically, I guess the biggest plot twist of the movie, uh, is learning that, um, T'Challa's father killed his brother. Um, that wasn't really that shocking to me because I felt like that first intro scene sort of, Ended on an odd note. I was like, oh, we're coming back to this, aren't we? 
Um, and then, the, you know, kind of about, you know, partway through the movie, um, before the reveal actually happens, you know, I was kind of getting a whole Lion King vibe off of this and, uh, <clears throat> kind of plot wise. So I was like, ah, oh, there's, there's some, there's something we're missing here. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of that movie that felt pretty predictable, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting, one of the things that really sucked me out for a minute, uh, and of course it's at the very end of the movie. I'm starting to side with the people who are getting a little irritated at Marvel um, for killing all of their villains. <laughs> because I agree with a lot of people when they say that Killmonger is probably one of the best villains, um, you know, in, in the MCU. Um, the best, probably not, but one of the best villains in the MCU, absolutely. But now he's dead too. And I, you know, I had this conversation with a coworker today who was like, Oh, but you know, in Infinity War, you never know who's going to come back with like the soul stone and stuff like that. That, that's, that'd be one thing if like there's been precedent set, you know, cause he's like, Oh, Killmonger died in the comics too. And I was like, well, yeah, everybody fucking dies in the comics and comes back, but there's precedent for that. So when somebody dies in the comics, when you or I as comic book fans say, Oh, they're probably coming back. It doesn't, nobody gets mad at each other for saying that because there is a precedent set. It is comic books. That is what happens. In the MCU, the dead haven't really come back yet. Anybody who's been dead has sort of stayed dead. I mean, the the reason I say sort of is because I guess you wanted, if you wanted, you can make an argument for Bucky. And if you wanted, you can make an argument for like Red Skull saying you never really saw him die. He could have been teleported, you know, whatever. But, Otherwise, basically, there has been no precedent set in the MCU. So saying, oh, he died in the comics, and if he died here, he's going to come back in, you know, Infinity War. Um, and if you're listening, Storm, I'm sorry, I'm not, that's not, I'm not imitating you. <laughs> I'm just saying, in general, that logic doesn't really make sense because there is no precedent. So it's just like, yeah, we can talk all day about what could happen in Infinity War. We've all been doing that. But, you know, to say, uh, it's not a big deal that Killmonger's dead because it's possible he could come back. Yes, it's possible, but until then, we're dealing with the fact that he's dead. And if, you know, so it, I just, I, I, I sort of side with those Marvel, those MCU fans who are a bit irritated at the MCU that all of these really quality characters and villains are just gone. We get the one shot at them and then they're out. No, I, I, I do, I do agree with that. And let's, and let's be honest, not, not interrupting your, your points for more than a second. That, uh, it's very possible that after, after Avengers four, that some, you know, some characters that are currently alive are going to be dead, and some characters that are, are dead may be back. I was thinking about this watching Ultron. It's like, remember how it, they, they threw us this curveball in, in Ultron because we all knew Elizabeth Olsen and what Aaron Taylor Johnson signed multi-picture deals <laughs> so everybody picked, figured oh there's no way they were going to die because they're being introduced in the movie and then they throw you a curve and they kill Quicksilver spoiler alert <laughs> so I'm thinking there's probably a decent shot that if at the very least if in the time traveling slash flashbacking that we it's pretty much guaranteed we're getting in Avengers 4 at the very least we may very well see it would be likely that we see Quicksilver and who knows maybe Quicksilver might be a character that actually gets returned to the land of the living some, by the end of the, uh, maybe they'll actually really flip the bird to DC and have him play like a role like the Flash and, and saving things. 
<laughs> that would be funny though, wouldn't it? Come on, it would be. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's those are really my only two main concerns. But you gotta you gotta understand that the one sort of bigger concern about the predictability of of, of the plot and the in the in the film is is a is an issue I have that sort of permeates the entire movie from start to finish. So there's not really one point where I can be like, oh, I didn't have to worry about that because this particular scene, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then, you know, the, the issue with Killmonger dying is like, it kind of puts a bad taste in my mouth to, to, to cap off the film. But beyond that, beyond those two issues, I love the movie. The cinematography was amazing. The, um, the technology. I mean, and, and you know what? I'll just say it now. The, the one thing that wasn't predictable, and I'll call it out for it. So a lot of my my brother-in-law, he's he's into the MCU and stuff, but he he doesn't like to get preached at. He's okay with movies having or you know or other media having a point, but there's a there's a sort of saturation point for him where it becomes more about the politics and getting this message out than it is about the entertainment that he has paid to sit down and watch. Um, <clears throat> So um, the I, I love the way that this movie does this because everybody's talking about the politics of this film in addition to the quality of the film and 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 they should be because going into this film I was like okay how are we going to tie in this whole you know and I, and I don't really know what to call the movement you know maybe a year or two ago we could have called it Black Lives Matter but it's sort of you know. Uh, expanded beyond that um so for lack of a better term knowing that this term encompasses a whole bunch a whole bunch bunch more how are we going to tie this black lives matter um situation that our country and most of the world but you know obviously we're focusing here on the u.s that the the, that we encounter in a movie that's set primarily socially entirely in an african nation like how how is that tendril going to leap across the pond and 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 find its roots and what's going on in in the U.S. And that's part of the reason I kind of like Killmonger too, is because he's a villain with a purpose and that purpose makes sense and it clicks in your head in the face of this sort of larger um, larger political issue because he grew up. It was it was was it Oakland? Yes. Okay. Grows up on the streets of Oakland without a father, you know, his father, father's murdered. Um, and, you know, knowing about Wakanda and what happens and, you know, just, can, you, you, you gotta just like put yourself in his mindset. You got this kid whose father was murdered and he finds his body and he knows of this land that has, you know, this advanced technology and it's the most advanced place on the planet and it's run by my people. But every time, you know, before he gets to Wakanda, there's this kid who's experiencing the hardships that a young black man in America experiences. And, you know, every time something happens to him, if he's, if it's, if it's something minor, uh, or something major, I mean, doesn't, doesn't really matter. Whatever kind of triggers that, um, that thought in your head as a young black man, uh, that, you know, this is, this is unfair. This is unbalanced. I'm being treated because of the color of my skin this way. 
every single time that happens to him before he gets to Wakanda in this film, you got to think that it's not just why doesn't my government do something? It's just like, why don't my people step in and do something? I know they're out there. Why don't they step in and do something? So I, I love that. I, I, I thought they were going to make it in such a way that maybe my brother-in-law was, was right. Maybe it would come across preachy or whatever. But it was done so well that it was part of this film. And it was done in such a way that it didn't overshadow the film. It was a huge plot point because it's the entire what Killmonger wants to do, you know, get weapons to the people across the globe and, you know, kind of, they, they use the term quite a bit, so fight back all the colonists. Um, so it, there's that, but it, it doesn't weigh down the film in such a way that you're just so focused on that or or, or whatever, and you're enjoying, like, Shuri. Like, I, I told Mark today, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, as we were prepping for this episode, uh, I said, you know, like, I, I adore Shuri. Like, that's, that's like probably my favorite character in that film. I know it's a lot of people's favorite character in that film, but Shuri, I just, I would love to see more of her, both on film and in my personal life. And, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I, I just, I think, I think the politics of the film are, are merited for people talking about it because it, it makes sense. And it, and it and it didn't come across in an overly weighted or strong manner. No, they 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 handled it in a good way because because they 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 diffused what could have been either a little touchier or a lot less. They but they could have handled the issue and which would have made it a lot less receptive across the board to people if 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 it had simply been you know for lack of a better way of describing it you know black a black and white issue but they made it clear that it wasn't just a black and white issue that you know that basically that and obviously T'Challa comes to this realization himself the the second and last time when he crosses over into the you know the the netherworld dimension you know when he's talking to his father and, and his ancestors and all the other former black panthers not the militant Black Panthers, the literally Wakandan Black Panthers, <laughs> that that they were wrong, that that they were wrong for basically staying in the shadows and not, and keeping to themselves and allowing all this other stuff that has happened all throughout the world, pretty much. Uh, so they, you know, so there's blood on their hands too. So it, so it isn't just oh, you know, a white black thing when it comes to slavery and there's that there's bl- there's blame there's blame to go around and basically the the in a- the inaction you know basically the inaction is is basically the ultimate the ultimate crime here kind of like if you want to tie it look at the look at the holocaust it's the same thing for the people especially for people who did know what was going on uh and or kind of suspected what was going on even if they didn't know the 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 people who just kind of stood by when when you know, everything started getting amped up and people started disappearing and things like that, that it's the inaction, the ability, the not, the willing, the non-willingness to, you know, to say, to say or do anything. That's, you yeah. know, that's, so there, there is the element of that. Something you said about Killmonger with, you know, killing off, killing off the villain. They did, now, theoretically, of course, they, they didn't, they just, they didn't just kill him off. They killed off somebody even more entertaining. They killed off Claw. <laughs> 
True. Supposedly, I, I mean, there's every reason to believe that he's dead, but I'm sure in, in the in the in the world of the high tech that we live in these days, I mean, life model decoy. <laughs> yeah, but, we. I mean, it's the same rule as anything else. We never saw him die. We only saw what body. looked like his body. Yeah, it would look yeah. correct. It would look like would look like his body. But with Killmonger, at least again, he was making that point, also a political point, when. T'Challa kind of a little too lenient in trying to save him, considering which, considering what a threat he really was. The idea, but still, that's the guy, good guy T'Challa is. But the the fact that uh, Killmonger essentially made it clear that he'd rather he'd rather die than than you know be imprisoned. Yeah, better so, death than bondage. Yeah, just like you know yeah. tying it into the to the soon to be in event case kind of sort of even at that point slaves before they got. Completely sold on the other side, you know, in, in the other on the other side of the world or in the new world, the slaves who jumped from the ships and basically were, were more than more than happy to drown as opposed to to you know be, having a life in bondage. So, so he, he makes that. So he kind of makes that a political point. So I guess if you were looking to justify, you know, the death of of that villain, um, so yeah, so. But yes, we all we all know across the board in, in these in these movies, the, all the comic book movies. That is that is the ultimate crime that they tend to kill way too many villains. Yet killing some villains are okay, but you kill way too many villains and way and way too fast, and then and then and then you're kind of left with you know scrubs if you keep if you keep doing that. But that re- beyond rebooting, you're I mean, you think about it. I mean, Marvel has kept some villains alive, but it's kind of interesting. Some of the one, you know, Red Skull. Red Skull, he may very well have been back already if friggin' Hugo Weaving didn't kind of like have a pseudo hissy fit and make it seem like he was never going to do it again. Even though that could be a relatively easy role to regast, considering you're in a mask. <laughs> but, sure. but I mean, Red Skull will probably, if he doesn't show up in, 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 in Avengers 3 or 4, you have to suspect at some point he'll come back. So he's technically alive. Loki obviously is is alive. The Abomination, which is was an interesting choice, he's still alive. Pretty much all of Iron, all of Iron Man's villains, real villains, were killed. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so they they do they do tend to kill mo- they do tend to kill off most of the villains, but it's I, I guess they think they have to. I I, I don't know why. I guess. To try to get some kind of true closure, because I heard and I disagree with it, but I heard some one cr- a criticism about First Avenger was that the movie didn't really have it. It was more of a setup and didn't really have wasn't really a complete movie somehow because the Red Skull just kind of like got vi- got taken off the map at the end. There was no resolution, though I didn't have an issue with that. Yeah, there was, uh, but I don't know. I I agree, and I think I think at some point they have they kind of have to stop that. <laughs> Yeah. Especially if you're ever gonna wanna have like we've talked about repeatedly, having your superhero team versus your supervillain team, which we really in true sense, other than the little pseudo X Men stuff we've seen, we really haven't seen that. We haven't seen A tier heroes and villains, you know, go going at it. And that's something people I think would really like to see. And you're not gonna get that if you keep killing off all your villains in every individual superhero movie, so no, I, th- I think I, I think if the MCU does it in any way, it's going to be in the Spider-Man place with the secrets, not the Secret Six. I keep saying Secret Six, Sinister. the Sinister, yeah. the Sinister Six. Um, depending on how the DCU continues to go, 
or doesn't get any to go. I mean, it really depends. Uh, we could get Legion of Doom, but uh, they're cl- they, they clearly have been setting up for it. But it's just like, you know, the the, the future of the DCU, uh, the DCEU rather, is so up in the air. Coin flip that murky, who knows? But mur- murky, yeah. at, murky at best, and only because you segued into it now. Hey, we can't feel too good, and here's one of our maybe our only Green Lantern reference, at least in, in this part of the show. The fact that when they came in, when they they're talking about you know, the movies that are their highest priority, like in the next like th- th- between now and like 2020, and Green Lantern Corps was isn't anywhere on that list. <laughs> so Green Lantern Corps, it's almost a guarantee at this point that Green Lantern Corps is going to be pushed off that release date since they've been friggin' Batgirl even before Joss Whedon got to quit slash got to boot off that movie even. You know, even Batgirl, which let's be honest, is it's a relatively peon character in the sliding scale of people who you can do movies about. That was a higher priority for for DC than to do Green Lantern or Green Lantern Corps. And they're still right, and they're still rolling the dice on Aquaman. And Flashpoint is still seemingly out there, and Wonder Woman two. And well, and supposedly uh, early Shazam. early uh, well, no, supposedly early audience testing or something. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what it was, but there's been some early feedback with regards to Aquaman in a, in a very positive light. So yeah, but, but to be fair, we've heard that I think for every single the last four DC. I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to remember if we heard it for suicide, about Suicide Squad, but I'm pretty sure we got the same. I think we got some of that from BVS, we got some of that from Justice League, we got some of that from Wonder Woman, and the only one that tended to hold, that, that turned out to be relatively close to accurate was Wonder Woman so you don't know who you don't know who gets to see the movies when they do when they do those screenings so true uh, another thing too is uh, we even recently heard more concrete information about Nightwing before yeah yeah you're right yeah, Nightwing it, it, is I think on that list too it's like so green seemingly well well it's not on the list because they said it's 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 about five years out now right but you won't but see you, a, you, you won't see a Nightwing movie for five years at least is what they said but the fact that there's no Green Lantern news at all, there's new Green, yeah. no Green Lantern core news, following on the heels of what we talked about not that long ago when David David Goyer there said there's like nothing new to report that he has nothing to say about the movie or he can't. It seems like you know the odds of that still holding. I mean, it's but things can change. But some of the, I mean, I'm still fascinated by the fact that somehow Shazam got pushed through and got greenlit the way it did, as fast as it did. And the way, and yet they're still choosing not to use The Rock as Black Adam in that movie. But you would think that would be something you'd want to do. <laughs> if you're going to introduce him, that would be a good movie to introduce him in. But no. So it, I, I, you really don't know what the hell they're doing because they don't seemingly, they don't seem to know what the hell they're doing. But well, I guess we'll find out soon enough whether. But if yeah, Aquaman's going to be pretty important. It, it's a hard sell as a character. Jason Momoa is pretty popular, but it's a hard sell as a character. So, I can't even say if the movie doesn't do well. You can you you can't. I don't think you can necessarily read much more into that and and say, oh, this absolutely buries the DCU because it because it doesn't. But it but they need a hit. I mean, they need a critical hit and a box office hit, and they need some, they need another Wonder Woman, one way or the other. And that probably is the most likely one to get. You know. Or the the one that well maybe like I'm just looking at what's on their agenda. I, I find it hard, hard to believe Shazam's going to be a big hit because it's Captain Marvel has such a I mean the fan base. Well, I mean it, it it depends it depends on how well they do the balancing act of like uh, starry eyed optimistic kid in a 
superhero body. Like, yeah, they, because there's, there's like, there's some wonder. There's some, there's some sense of magic about that concept. Because what, I mean, what, which one of us geeky kids, you know, in our childhood didn't be like, I was just big and strong and I could take these bullies out. You know, like there's, there, it, it, it's the same way, like, you know, you go into, um, your average sort of comedy, whatever flick about, you know, some character in high school and the geek gets the hot chick and you're like, man, go geeks. <laughs> you know, if only it was that way for me, you know, like there's a part of you that's sort of reliving that aspect of, of, of your childhood. I mean, I think, I think there's, there's potential depending on how they do it to really capture the audience with that sense of wonder and magic. Um, and if they do that well and also have a good superhero story, a lot of, you know, fantastic visuals and so on and so forth, then I think Shazam will be a hit. But if they can't capture that, the like, the inherent wonder and magic that goes along with the concept of Billy Batson saying Shazam and becoming Captain Marvel, like, if that's not there, then... It doesn't matter how good the rest of it looks, how good the superhero plot is, whatever, I say it fails. But if they can do both, if they can make a good superhero action flick and capture that wonder and magic, that's going to be a success. I, I really think it's going to be a success. I think for that movie, they considering other than Mark Strong, there isn't really one big name in that movie. Uh, so I think... I think that movie is really going to depend on the critical reaction to that movie. I think that movie more than more than more than even Aquaman. I think that movie has to it has to come. People have to get the vibe off that movie, not just by the trailer though that, that could help. But that's a movie where it absolutely, if the critics come out and they just pan this movie and they give it like a they give it a friggin' thirty five score. I think that's going to kill that movie because I don't think there's a huge, huge interest in that movie, and there's no stars in that movie. Other, again, Mark Strong's really—he's—he's he's a great Sinestro. He's a good actor in everything he does, but he's not a movie star. You know, he's a supporting actor. So the reality is, I think if that movie gets really bad critical reaction, I think that's going to torpedo that movie right out of the block. But the, but if that movie gets really good critical reaction. I think, and if the and if the, the trailers and the footage looks good, then I agree with you. I think it could be kind of a surprise hit, certainly based on expectation. But I think, but that could go south real easily because it, it, you're not exact, you're not exactly taking you know the the creme de la creme of your pantheon of heroes, and you're putting it out there. So that's why they've they've made some interesting choices. I mean, Suicide Squad financially certainly paid off for them. It still was a bad choice. They 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 kind of seriously dodged a bullet on that one. You're taking like C tier characters for the most part, other than Harley Quinn, uh, and the Joker. Who and the Joker was barely in the movie, but as you know, you're taking really obscure character, not obscure and relatively not super popular characters, and you're putting them into a movie. Fall, which by luck of the draw, I had to follow BVS. So I don't know. I I think they got to. I think. From a Green Lantern perspective, I think I am starting to have severe, serious doubts whether we're ever going to see in this incarnation of the DCU, we're going to see that Green Lantern core movie. But back to Black Panther. Yes. <laughs> well, see, we got we did get some talk. We did get some talk in anyway. Okay. 
But we digest. <laughs> All right, Black Panther. Uh, what other aspects do you want to talk about? Do you want to focus character by character or kind of act by act? Or what do you want to do? Um, I, di- I liked how they picked up shortly after you know, Civil War. The death of the death of uh, T'Chaka. I like that. I also thought it was a nice touch that old T'Chaka was actually played by the, his actual son in real life. I thought that was pretty neat. That his the same actor's son is who played him, who played the young T'Chaka, the 1992 T'Chaka. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, we talked about. I mean, let's let's talk about Shuri for a few minutes, just from a character perspective. Obviously, she she was the char- She is the character probably that was that was talked about, discussed, hyped the most. And on that level, like I like I said before, she didn't disappoint. I mean, she's smart, she's cute, she's fashionable, she's in, she's creative. She is she's in super super smart. She's completely dedicated. You know, she's dedicated to the cause. I the only this isn't the criticism of her; it's more a criticism of fans. I know whether she is absolutely smarter than. Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, that's obviously going to, that's up for debate, and I don't think one friggin' movie would prove anything one way or the other. She's super smart, they have super tech, they also have a little advantage with super tech, because they've had that, they've had that vibranium in their soil for like, for for, for thousands of years, right? But, and let's not, and, and that's just pointing out, let's not forget, you know, Tony Stark still essentially built his original armor with like, a couple of radios, a car battery, and like, Leftover parts from like an Atari 2600. So give, so let's not for, let's not make the guy out that he's chopped liver all of a sudden. But obviously she has a much better personality than Tony Stark, and she's certainly better to look at than Tony Stark. And it will be awesome to see to see some of these characters interact. I mean Bruce, I mean Bruce, you know Bruce Banner by the nature of who he is, he's more likely to be impressed than he is to be intimidated, and. Tony's more likely if he's not going to be intimidated, he's going to be taken aback. It's kind of like, like who is this upstart or whatever. But her character is really, really, really enjoyable. She's really funny. Uh, the even though it wasn't, much, I mean, the after credit scenes in this movie weren't anything special. I mean, especially since like the the UN thing was, I guess, the, was supposed to be the original ending. That was not even supposed to be an after-credit scene. That was supposed to be the oh, the stuff at the end going back to Oakland. That was that was the changed ending. Originally, it was supposed the real the first ending. The original ending was supposed to be the UN speech. But the the stuff with Bucky was cool. You kind of figured there was going to be something tied in, if not to Cap to Bucky, because you know Wakanda is essentially a huge part of what you know the resolution of the Civil War. Essentially, that the relationship formed between Cap and Cap in uh, T'Challa, so it, may, it definitely wet your and your and all that wet your appetite for for what's coming. So, uh, but I think you, it's, seeing Shuri interact with some of these other characters is going to be is going to be fascinating. <laughs> for sure, uh, yeah. And as far as comparing the intellects, it's it's not really that big of a deal because, like, I mean. Tony and Bruce got their hands on that, on that, uh, spear, Loki spear, and like, they're like, whoa, you know, when they, when they talk about the AI, and Bruce is like, it looks like it's thinking. Like, they didn't look at that, 
just they essentially doing a tech analyst uh, analysis of a uh, of an infinity stone. <laughs> they didn't look at that and go, well, this is beyond us. We might as well not even try. <laughs> Let's hand it over to Thor. No, both of them, although Bruce was a little bit more hesitant, but both of them saw it and went, we can work with this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So like if they, if they were given access to the advanced technology in Wakanda, I'm sure they'd be as, uh, you know, equals with, uh, with Shuri. But I, you know, it'd be, of course, cool to see her one up them every now and then. So, so it's not really even an argument. I think you know, people are just bitching the bitch about stuff or, or whatever. But I, I think, uh, yeah, she was a fantastic character, you know, like, She'd be talking about something serious, and then, like, you know, one of the scenes that everybody likes to talk about when she points to his sandals and says, what are those? <laughs> <laughs> it just starts making fun of his footwear, and then the joke she made, she's like, you know what I call these? Sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> you know, so everybody laughs at that, you know, so she, she, you know, in the middle of coming across, like, this genius, she... Yeah, she comes. She also comes across as funny and, and uh, endearing too, because her relationship with T'Challa is is really well done. So, and yeah, also, she, and, she's and, definitely a standout. And related to the tech, that I do kind of like the fact, and of course, from a merchandising or toy perspective, this would be perfect. I do not that they will necessarily go this route, but I do like the fact that they they certainly hint at the possibility that basically. Which could also would make sense because it's depending on what how post phase post phase three of a uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe what it's going to look like that basically because of, because of the Shuri tech that he that basically T'Challa could end up almost being a pseudo kind of like a pseudo Iron Man himself or like if in every movie he's going to have a different he's going to have a different armor or a di- or or modifications of his uniform and things like that so who knows who knows by uh by the, the first Avengers movie, after you know all this Infinity stuff wraps up, maybe he'll be like, uh, he'll be in armor like uh, Mark Thirty Four. <laughs> and and we also get the setup for you know another future superhero too in Shuri because you know a lot of people are like, well, if Cap dies or or whatever, then you know in the comics Bucky has taken up the mantle and so has Falcon. So we have future Caps in the in the works and. You know, you could, you can make the argument, depending on which way you want to go with it, that somebody else could pick up the hammer and become Thor and, and so on and so forth. But in the comics, Shuri does don a Black Panther suit and become, I forget the name of the character, like if it's Lady Panther or something like that. Or maybe it's just Black Panther. Um, but, uh, she, she, Shuri is a wearer of a Black Panther suit. So, you know. Down the line of contracts in or, or whatever, you know, that's yet another character that could become like a legacy character. That is, that is true. And, and there was a point that I was just going to make and use, and I, and somehow I lost, I lost my jumping on point right when you got, got to the end. It was about, uh, about, oh, she can theoretically follow. Well, one thing they do have to reestablish or show you is th- is that 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 root has to survive somewhere else in order for her to be able to get powers. <laughs> there has to be sure. another. There has to be another another little storage, or it has to be growing somewhere else in order for that 
to truly take over in the which it's, I kind of forgot to mention this before. I like because I remember you and I had this conversation when we were ta- when we were doing like the commentary ta- track. I, th- I think on Civil War about whether you, when you asked whether Black Panther had any superpowers or not. So right in the prologue of this movie, they kind of answered that question by saying yes, he does. He essentially does have superpowers, super strength. So he essentially is a super soldier just because of the natural root or nat- natural, as in you know, thanks to the vibranium in the soil, potentially. But that explains why he's able to hold his own with Bucky and Cap when he's fighting them, because he's not just he's trained you know, to the peak of his physical ability. He has you know, superhuman power and, and agility and things like that. So, Which one thing they weren't clear on is if that's permanent. The, re- the reason I say that uh, is because he has to drink something to get rid of the powers. But does he have to keep taking the root? To maintain his no. powers. No, I think you you take it as you take it. It's in your system. Obviously, they have a they have a way of negating that, whichever which, which, with whatever is in that you know that concoction that he drinks before the challenges. But I think you only have to take it once. I don't think there's anything that's ever implied that you have to re- keep retaking it like a like a serum or a drug or anything. Okay, I just thought I'd ask because they. They, they didn't say anything about it, but, you know, just because the powers come from an, an, another source, it's possible that, uh, that you know, it, it could be something that needs to be ingested on a regular basis. Yeah, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case. All right, cool. All right, what else do we want to talk about? Um, so you... I liked I liked Nakia as a character, and not just because you, I could look at Lupita Nyong'o for like forever. But I liked her character, and I liked how I liked the relationship between her and T'Challa because it 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 wasn't it wasn't. I mean, we've gotten we've gotten a lot. Actually, to be fair, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we've actually gotten a lot of this almost on equal footing relationship stuff. Between uh, between the hero and their significant other, we've actually have quite gotten quite a bit on that. Whether you look at you know s- you know kind of Steve and Peggy or Pepper and Tony and even to a lesser extent, but kind of sort of even you know Jane kind of held her own with Thor to a certain extent, and obviously Ant Man and uh, and Wasp. Wasp. Which, whichever incarnation you want to look at, theoretically, if you want to look at the original Janet Van Dyne or or the daughter in 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 Scott, that they've they've done a pretty good job at kind of establishing that. But I like the fact that, in a way, Nakia is the one who's kind of taking the lead on a lot of the uh, on the progressed. And I hesitate to use that word because of the, the connotations that it has potentially in different ways these days. But the forward thinking. The more open-minded thinking, the bigger picture thinking, uh, because of the fact that she's been in the real world, and because her job mm-hmm. is to be out in the real world, to infiltrate, infiltrate, to be a spy, that she sees basically kind of what Killmonger sees. It's, uh, that which is interesting. Yeah, I was yes. just about to make that point. Yeah, yeah. her her worldview in the general sense is very similar to Killmonger, except, of course, she, and you could make, one could make the case, the only real difference is she doesn't have the absolutely shitty beginning and the personal reason to have hate and anger in her that, that he does. 
Plus, she still sees. I mean, she wants more or less Wakanda to be a force for good and to not and to branch out and to try to help. But she's not. While Killmonger is more wants to wants to take like a, almost like a mili- be like a mil- um, have a military solution and or promote uprisings, you know, all over the place using these tech to you know almost kind of like balance the historical scales or try to right the wrongs of the past by. No, he uses the word in the movie revolution. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he wants to start a revolution. Yes, and as T'Challa kind of points out at some point in the movie that you that you can't basically you can't be you, you can't be just the same way as your oppressors are. You can't behave the same way, which is kind of in a way, which is something that's something we've dealt with before, and other of these kind of like flipping flipping the status quo on their you know on its head and. Si- because we've dealt with that when we talked about the Planet of the Apes stuff. It's the same kind of thing. It's the thing that Caesar kind of struggled with because if if, if they fell into a trap where they just treated human beings the way human beings treated them, then, then they would be no better than they are. And that would and what, and what would that really accomplish? The point is to try to be better. It's to try to be better, not to try to perpetuate, you know, this whole cycle and to – and it's not just supposed to be an eye for an eye. Uh, and that, and, but that same lesson also carries over because even in like War for the Planet of the Apes, you know, you have the the the, the realization that 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 Caesar comes to is that the problem the problem came from thinking that they were better, right? Yes, know? yes. Which T'Challa kind of comes to on his own by coming to sort of her side of things by you know deciding to share with the world. You know, he's like, we are not better; we're part of this world. You know, so. It's our duty to to help in whatever ways we can. Right, and I do like the fact that they that he is, despite the fact you know we see, we see him in the UN and everything in Civil War and everything, but we do you know he, I, I would be reluctant to say he's sheltered because obviously with his, their technology and their ability to go all you know all over Africa and do whatever they need all over the world and do what they need to do pretty much uh, in stealth mode, but he's relatively. His worldview may be relatively sheltered. It's certainly it's certainly a Wakanda centric view on things, and he has an Africa centric view. Yes, sure. beyond the Wakanda. Yes, Wakanda centric first, Africa centric second, and that's that's his that's that because that is directly their sphere of influence, and that's and that's all he's really interested right. in. And he doesn't have a great desire to in the beginning to step to step beyond that you know, there is, because there is, there you know there is the logical debate there is the, you know there is the debate about you know if you give too much you have if you, you give too much of your stuff away you know number one is it going to be is it going to be used against you if you don't if you don't volunteer if you don't make it clear you have this and are willing to share it at some point when people find it are they going to come try to take it from you or well, one of the points that towards the end with Killmonger is the point is more or less the He's kind of making. They're kind of making the point that the technological, the huge technological advantage that they have over everybody else, that advantage is dwindling. That that gap, you know, the the arms the arms race yeah. gap between side A and side B, is starting to get a little more even. And if they don't, and if they don't strike now while the iron is still hot, while the advantage is still theirs, they may never have that opportunity again. So they won't have what. Regardless of whether you what you view that opportunity is, but if you want to instill not just change but your kind of change, you know, that moment is now, which is which essentially T'Challa does come around and accepts that view just in a completely different way, not in a in a revolutionary way or a militaristic or selfish way, but he but he essentially does kind of embrace the same kind of concept that 
that you know, at least from the perspective of this is the time now to do something different. This is you know it's our it's our duty to share with the world you know what we have and to to bring us all together you know because we're essentially all all alike at the end of the day. So might be an, uh, an odd more tertiary character to go to, but what do you think of Mbaku? I liked him. They, he had a he had a pretty he had a pretty good character arc considering you, you you obviously were not supposed to like him in the beginning. I mean, yeah, not just because you know he, he what man right man uh man, man ape right. Uh-huh. Uh That's who he that in the comic books that who he that's who he really is and they and they did and obviously for you know a lot of reasons you don't want to be you don't want to use that term in the movie ideally, but they did but they certainly respected the background of the tribe and everything because obviously there is that whole white gorilla image and and imagery that that you absolutely know is part of their tribe. Uh, but I like the way you know they they set it up in the beginning that he you know he's he's not a good guy he's a guy that you he's the guy that you would think you're not going to trust he's the guy you were they set up where you would think if someone's going to side with Killmonger it might be this guy he was the only one to challenge T'Challa think you know when he's about to be you know made king all this stuff and then he turns out not only is he is he a, he's an interesting character he's a pretty cool character. Obviously, he has a sense of humor, which is kind of, which really comes across at the, towards the end of the movie. We're has, vegetarians. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's he's just he's just. The... I would have loved to see more of that city and culture. By the way, just be, I mean, I'm I'm more of a, a cold weather person in general. So me too. The idea that so close to uh, Wakanda is this sort of winter mountainscape kingdom. That doesn't share the same technology as Wakanda, but is of the same descent. It's just like, what does that look like? And we got to see a good a good portion of it, obviously. But it's just like, I I would have loved to spend more time there, just looking at some of those visuals. And we'll probably, excuse me, we'll probably see more in like the sequels and stuff. Maybe not, maybe not in Infinity, but we'll see. I would say we'll see it in the sequel see it very likely we will in the sequels especially because as you saw at the end of the movie he's kind of like moved into the, like the inner council as opposed to uh when he wasn't really sit he certainly was he certainly wasn't sitting at the table with like you know with T'Challa and his and his mother and and Shuri and things like that but now you know he kind of had moved into that p- position so i it would be nice to see him not be a bad guy it would kind of be crappy after the after the the way they had him end up in this movie to have him like be the next, you know, the next bad guy, which I guess I mean if you're looking at his, you know, his, you know, history and stuff related to the, to the character, the Black Panther character, it wouldn't exactly be, you know, hardly be out of left field, but based on how they wrote the character and the the arc that they gave him, it would kind of be, depending. Depending how they went, I mean, I'm sure they could make it interesting, and obviously because he's an interesting character, they could probably make it compelling. But you kind of would hate to see him, kind of hate to see him do the, go down that road. Do you think? Uh, do you think he's part of the the warriors that are being led by the Avengers in that footage we've seen of the battle that takes place outside of Wakanda? It's possible. I didn't pay much attention. I don't know. I would have to go back. Yeah, we have to rewatch it and see who's wearing what. Right. I mean, you would think he would stand out pretty clearly yeah. if he was in it, which is why I'm. Which doesn't mean he won't be in the. Which but doesn't mean he won't be in that battle. It just may not be in those in those few little snippets that we saw with everybody charge, you know, charging towards the camera and then everybody lining up 
beforehand. It would it would ascend, it would in a way it would make sense, but if it's a technologically driven battle, then it would also make sense not to, because obviously they're not as right. they're not as techy as almost any most as many not all as many of the other tribes in in Wakanda. Um, what did you what did you think of Everett Ross? Uh, I liked him. Yeah, I thought, uh, he, was, I thought he came I across he better poorly, too. Yeah, he was poorly developed in uh, Civil War. Uh, you know, to the point where even people were like some like making fun of his American accent and, and so on and so forth. But I thought it was really well done. You know, you you come across the other side liking him, seeing him as a, a yet another sort of ally for the superhero community, and even like that an ally. Strictly for Wakanda, like that. That's I, I. I wouldn't have a problem if, if he sort of stayed in that in that uh, sandbox, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, of of the MCU, and you know, was was that instead of just, you know, a helpful person within the UN or within the CIA, rather for for the entirety of the superhero community, including the Avengers. Um, so I, I really like that. Um, you know, he even risked his life and, and was, was, was happy to do so. So I thought, thought that was really well done. You, you kind of get the idea that once he's in Wakanda, you're like, ah, oh, they're going to have to deal with this too. You know, him, you know, doing A, B, C, D, whatever, in order to be like, you've been hiding this from the world for blah, 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 you know, because from, again, from Civil War, he wasn't developed in such a way that you you would feel like you would be able to trust him with this. So he was really sort of a, a wild card in terms of, you know, is is saving his life and bringing him to Wakanda going to work out for them? That is true. It also it also has to be played out in the time frame where everything takes place of um of how. Well, like whether, like you said, whether he gets like like permanently assigned to Wakanda, whether he's just kind of like a go-between because because it it becomes interesting, you know, depending on his ties to Wakanda and also how close he is to T'Challa and how his worldview changes, it could be an issue because of the fact that obviously obviously they've they, they've hidden the fact that Bucky was there. I mean, there's no he just he certainly has no in, in he certainly as far as the events of the movie goes that he has no knowledge that you know the Winter Soldier is there. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, probably... it's clear. It's, it's clear by the end credits that Bucky is not living in Wakanda. Well, I mean, yes, but like he's not within the city. He's in one of those outlying tribes that are kind of surrounding the force field, but not are actually in the city. Yeah, he's not. He's not in the heart. He's not in the most technologically. Yeah. And it, but it's also it's also supposed to be relatively implied that or implied that he's relatively fresh out out of the. The ice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not sure. like the next, like not necessarily within 24 hours out of the ice, but the deprogramming, the deprogramming by Hydra of the Hydra technology and the, and the code words and all that. The deep, the deprogramming has all been done relatively recently before you know he, he's thought out. And I think, and, and the, and I'm still waiting to get these issues, but the the two issue uh, prelude comic to Infinity War talks about that. About how yeah, I've got the first issue. Yeah, how sure he gets the al- develops the algorithm to basically to, to, to and the fact that you know now now see I don't have the issue yet. I only saw the preview. So is Cap 
basically based out of Wakanda? Uh, shoot, I, I've been reading so much, I don't remember what it's I not, was It's not a big deal I'll, if you don't know. I mean, no, I just it's it's on my Amazon Fire. I just have to pull it up and and page through it to remember what I read. Um, but yeah, I'll pull it up while because I while we're talking. Because I, you know, most comic book preludes to things, you know, you don't give a, you know, I, I have no interest in Oh, that. so, so many of them are just, like, yes. comic book adaptations of the last movie. It's just like, oh, shit, Yeah, but I knew from when I saw the preview, this, this was probably, it intrigued me enough where I wanted it. My shop was out of it, so I'm waiting for them to get part one back in. I think part two comes out this week. The, the... Just the fact that they they set up the dynamic of how you know Black Widow and Falcon and Cap and how they're working to basically to doing what they're doing you know under, under the radar and how you know things come up that they you know there's like that natural pull on both ends on Tony's side and Steve's side to reach out towards the other but yet they're not ready to do that yet so they keep doing their they keep doing their own thing which obviously leads to Infinity War which eventually we get to that moment where. Which, which intrigues me what that moment will be because you assume it'll be Tony calling Cap. The question is what is going to do that? Is it going to be like the confrontation in New York, the stuff with Doctor Strange? Is it going to be like what once the Vision gets once the Vision gets captured? Is that um, so? It's it it that's what intrigues me a little bit about when exactly you know the 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 melting you know. The glass nose occurs between the two of them enough where they have where they know they they have no choice but they have to work together now because the threat's too big. Right. So in the comic, uh, Shuri is essentially telling T'Challa how, you know, how uh, she's come up with a way to fix Bucky. Uh, and uh, after she explains it to him, he says, "And I'm sure that would make Steve Rogers happy enough to hear wherever he is now." And then it cuts to Syria where he's running a mission. Okay. okay. Uh, so he's not based out of Wakanda, but he's in contact with Wakanda, but not enough to where they know where he is right. and his whereabouts and you know our constant communication or anything like that. Which probably, no, which may very well, I mean, if you want to read into it, knowing Steve, we may be on purpose from, from Steve's perspective to actually not because he wouldn't trust T'Challa, but to just. To get to literally give you plausible deniability because he literally doesn't know where Steve Rogers is, <laughs> so right. it so wouldn't have to be where be in a position to have to lie or get caught lying or yeah. anything like that. It's the fact that he literally doesn't. Even though, again, with the Wakanda tech, you would assume much like you know Stark tech and you know and stealth mode and whatever, it'd be really easy to try to track you know to put something on on him or on his armor or whatever, which is interesting because you go back and you look at <clears throat> if you look at some of the. The footage, like when from Infinity War, when Cap's standing next to, uh, I think T'Challa, it does look like he's essentially wearing his uni- his old uniform, or at least it's or like, if it it could possibly have a have a paint job to, to downplay some of the you know the stars and stripe elements, but it basically looks like the same suit. So it might just be battle, it might be just battle damage and worn, because it looks it doesn't look like it's not like it's like a true weird nomad costume. It kind of looks like it's very it looks like it's very similar. Just from what I remembered seeing in the in in the footage, so. But yeah, I think yeah, that Prelude comic was something that intrigued me, so I I, def, I, I definitely want to pick it up. I guess I mean we've all kind of assumed that Bucky's replacement arm will be vibranium. I mean that makes perfect sense. I mean look where they are. I mean it'd be kind of surprising if it wasn't vibranium. You know what's interesting too is the amount of attention 
they pay, they paid to where's where Claw's arm came from and what it was made of. Given that we also know somebody else who needs an arm. Yes, that is that is true. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was some sort of variant on what Claw has or had. Yeah, that is that is true. That that's a that, that's a good catch. The uh, so yeah, I mean I think it yeah, it's gonna be. I'm int- yeah, I'm interested in I I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of interested in how they're gonna react to the vi- to the vision too. Even though obviously Black Panther has seen the vision, though it's it's debatable whether Black Panther really has any understanding of really of what the vision really literally is made out of. <laughs> Because he didn't Living have much, vibranium. yeah, because yeah. he didn't have much interaction with the vision, and they were fighting on the same side. So there's no reason why he would know the vision was really made out of vibranium. Uh, so I, I kind of find that somewhat fascinating too, because of the fact that you know he you know he's literally made out of something that was stolen stolen out of Wakanda, and and the tech, uh, and obviously the idea of creating of using. Which Shuri kind of touched upon too, the idea of using that vib- using some of the, the vibranium to create different things. That you could very easily see a, a Iron Man suit being used in Infinity War somehow. That's that's vibranium. You know, you could, right. you could see that. I mean, it wouldn't take it wouldn't be a, a huge stretch to see a vibranium based armor, even if Tony's not the one who builds it. You know. Which would be really funny, wouldn't it? That'd be kind of that'd be that'd be talking that that'd be a tough thing for Tony to swallow. <laughs> Maybe they could co-build it, but that'd be a tough thing for Tony to swallow. Oh, we we got you a new suit. <laughs> um, what else we need to talk about? The Warrior Women. Oh yeah, they they were the, was the, the Dora Milaje there. Milaje. Mm-hmm. They were cool. They were they were impressive. They, I I I and but Akoya. She was cool. Mm-hmm. She was really cool. Uh, was she the one in Civil War, or was it just a generic one in Civil War? I, I could, no, I didn't she was the one in Civil War. That, that, cause that was one of the more memorable moments when when she had to run in with, with, with Black Widow. Uh, like a, as enjoyable as that would be to watch or whatever. <laughs> to tell us. So now we know how enjoyable it would really be. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, can't, Black Widow is one of like the most deadly hand-to-hand combatants supposedly in the MCU. It's just like, all right, <laughs> let's let's put that to the test. <laughs> um, and I <laughs> I like that she's like this. She's a a hardened, loyal, you know, general, but also like. You know, sure, yes, did he freeze? Uh, he froze. <laughs> you know, and, uh, then, uh, you know, you know, she's got, she's got the sense of humor, but she's also, you know, in a relationship with, again, the guy's name, I forget. Wakabi. Um, yeah, Wakabi. Uh, she's in a relationship. So she's like this really strong, uh, you know, fiercely loyal, amazing combatant general. But she's also like, you know, this fun jokester and, uh, you know, she's got a sense of humor and she's, uh, got a lot of good relationships and stuff with, with, um, with individuals on, and, on a more and, personal and rhinos, level. Right? And rhinos. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was cool too. I was like, what's, I was like, what's happening here? And I'm like, it just stops and licks her and you're like, that's funny. <laughs> I like I like how he doesn't like get mad at the rhino or anything. He's, he he it almost looks for a fleeting instance like you think he would be mad at himself and like not thinking of that. 
But there's no way this rhino's going to run her down. I should have known that. She's around them all the time. Trust her as much as it trusts me. Like, so that was cool. Um, but I like how she's sort of, she's not his right-hand man, but she is. You know what I mean? So, I mean, she's she's got her own agency and everything, but she's she's sort of always by his side. And you get the sense that that's not just out of loyalty, you know, because T'Challa is her friend. But at the same time, and again, this was another sort of predictable thing to me, um, but at this, but but it, it also speaks to characterization. When um, Killmonger is crowned king, you know, she, she uh, they come to get her and she's like, I'm not going. I took an oath to protect Wakanda. I'm loyal to the country no matter who sits on that throne. And you kind of want to, you kind of want to slap her for trying to even suggest to her, like, doesn't she know her well enough to know she wouldn't leave her post like that? Yeah, that is like, that, that is true. It was, it was, it was a little, uh, it was a little presumptuous. Yeah, there's like, you, you, you guys have to know she would never leave like that. Like it's a different, it's a different mindset. Like it makes sense to get T'Challa's mother and sister out of there. And it makes sense for her to leave as well because of her relationship. The fact that she's part of the outside world. She told T'Challa himself, like, you know, Hey, if you guys aren't going to share our knowledge with the world, I'm not coming back. I'm going to keep doing this sort of outreach stuff that I've been doing. Um, uh, I guess covert outreach, <laughs> and uh, you know that makes sense. But why would you ever assume that you know this general of Wakanda would leave when it's very, very clear how ritualistic and 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 loyal and it's 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 not it's you know kind of like when when people are like you know dishonorably just discharged from the military or. Or things like, you know, a captain is supposed to go down with his ship, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it, this is more like, it's not something that has been recently established. It's like this tribe of, not this tribe because they're, they're all part of the same tribe, but this, this elite group of warrior women has been around for a very long time. Their growth and development and how involved they are in protecting the king and, and his family and, and all of this has been part of the development of Wakanda for years. You know, America didn't always have a military. Um, you know, and, and it was, even as it existed, it was constantly evolving, you know, what it was, what the rules were, and so on and so forth. Um, but you get the sense of, like, this is a part of the culture, the heritage, it's a, it's a ritual, it's a tradition, and it's loyalty to, you know, to, to hearth and home. So it's just like, why would you ever assume she would leave? That is true. I mean, yeah, the, base, the basic point is I can understand a little bit why they thought she would at least, you know, entertain the idea. And obviously, as as the uh, as Killmonger's short-lived reign kind of does play out, I mean, obviously, m- almost everybody, at least in the inner circle, certainly thinks about or debates Maybe we should do this. It's 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 a really it's the kind of like that that universe that universal question about how 
you're you're loyal, you know, you're loyal to your country and you're loyal or you're loyal to the throne or whatever. But you have, at some point, when do you have to draw? There may come a point when you may have to draw the line. You know, whether it's like Jamie Lannister, you know, <laughs> stabbing the Mad King <laughs> from behind, or something like that. It's like you sometimes you have to make that decision because, which puts you in a it puts you in a horrible position. But if you don't, then you know, then you can end up, which is kind of like where they potentially were going, that you can end up being being a a soldier a soldier in the German army that, or a general in the German army who did nothing, and then you end up in having what you know what's an, with everything that happened like with the, when the Nazis were in control so it's that it's that fine line sometimes and you kind of you kind of and that's why that's why logically it made perfect sense that at least initially there why their personal loyalties were clearly to T'Challa it was very unlikely they were going to jump ship but then as you think see as, every, as things started playing out or the uh, and then of course they, they do conveniently give them an out at the end because once T'Challa is is shows back up again, showing that he never died. And technically speaking, the trial by combat never ended. And yeah. he is, which one thing we didn't talk about. I, I kind of had an issue with the trial by combat. I had an I kind of had an issue with how easy T'Challa got his ass kicked. And then once he takes the route and he comes back, how relatively it may not have been super easy that he beat Killmonger, but he was not certainly not in, in as serious. Pr- he was not in as bad a spot as he was in when he was fighting him without his powers when they both had powers. I know mm. you add in the whole psychological motivation. You're not a. You're not taking somebody for granted. You're not. You're now. You're fighting more for a cause too because he had, when they had you know when his father speaking to him again the second time in the, in the netherworld, basically saying it's come you know come to us. It's your time to come to us. And that's when T'Challa kind of lays into them saying, No, you are all wrong. You know, you were wrong for like turning your back on the world, yada yada. But I kind of did have a problem with that. It's like he got his ass kicked so completely thoroughly. I thought they were. I thought they might have gone the out. That that somehow uh, Killmonger's uh, was given the route, but nobody knew that he was given the route. So I thought they were going to maybe they were going to go that route. Where technically speaking, it it was it was a fair fight until T'Challa you know derooted de- himself. And then after that, Killmonger still had was super powered, and that's why he beat his ass so easily. I thought they were going to go that route, and then obviously they didn't. And then it kind of makes made that final fight a little, little harder to believe that that alone was going to. Yeah, he's got more experience as Black Panther, not by much, but he has more. But yeah, yeah so that that another issue I had sort of related to that is T'Challa doesn't really have a hero's journey as such. Like, and this is a bad comparison because I don't really like this particular hero's journey, but just for the sake of trying to get my point across, I'll go ahead and bring it up anyway. In The Dark Knight Rises, when, when Bane breaks Batman's back, you know, he, he not only has to like repair himself physically, he has this sort of mental journey he has to go on to. He has to sort of reset his thinking and rediscover his purpose and so on and so forth. T'Challa doesn't really have that, and, and and he does only in the fact once he goes back to to um, that sort of ethereal plane, which by the way I love the visuals of. Yes, it's, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, once he goes back to sort of that ethereal plane and talks with his father, that one moment is sort of his hero's journey when he yells at his dad and and all of this stuff. That's sort of it. 
Like he's just sort of comes to the re- this this realization on his own, and and after he comes back, he doesn't have to really do any soul searching. He doesn't really have to to train up or learn some sort of hand to hand combat skills or anything. Like you know, I, I get it. He's already a warrior, and he underestimated him before, and and he wasn't really. Uh, he was really struggling with the idea that he had just learned that his father killed his uncle, like all of this stuff. But there's really not this sort of revelatory hero's journey that T'Challa goes on after his defeat. And, and I get it, it's a longer movie and there's a lot in here, so if we were to go that route, it'd be an even longer movie and, and maybe you're running the risk of, of, of kind of uh, a stagnant moment in the film or, or whatever or throwing off of pacing, or whatever, but I just, I felt like that was sort of missing, this revelatory, self-introspective sort of hero's journey that a lot of these uh, heroes have after they've endured this really uh, personal defeat. Yeah, I, I, I can see, I can see that perspective on it. Uh, he's He certainly shook it off pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, again, I can understand some of it because, again, maybe he was able to rationalize his, the reasons for his defeat, or and again, like we talked about, because he now had extra reason to fight. Yeah, you know, he was he was completely. Yeah, you know, he knew basically what was going to happen if he didn't regain the throne, as opposed to just. I mean, you kind of knew before. But you know, it became crystal clear. What, what, everything was literally happening, not just it wasn't just theoretical. Uh, so I can see that, and I could certainly see that being extra motivation. The whole eye of the tiger, eye of the panther, kind of thing. But yeah, like I said, and it still and it still doesn't reckon still doesn't reconcile the fact that why is he more of a physical match now than he was before for him. Or because obviously Killma- Killmonger was a lot better trained. Killmonger, and you can make a case say, and different and and better trained in the sense of not just traditional. He had a lot. He had a lot of varied training, and he had a lot of he had a lot of experience throughout the world doing what he was doing. And of course, he did. He did have. You know, he was the one who really was. You know, who had the anger and the hunger and everything else. So yeah, the shoe was kind. The shoe were kind, was kind of switched there, but. To me, that was hard. That was a harder sell when I was when I was watching it. That's why I was kind of hoping, since since we clearly saw that he didn't, that Killmonger didn't give a crap about really Wakanda's heritage, Wakanda's heritage or their traditions or anything. He just wanted their tech and their power to use the way he wanted. That it's not wouldn't have been beyond his thinking or his willingness to cheat. You know, to to get rid of T'Challa, and that would have been an easy out to justify why he lost. Mm. You know, not not exclusively, but it would have been, but it would have been, it would have made it clear that it would have been really hard for T'Challa to win, even if his head was really in the game, because the fact that he was just he was this was a reason he was outmatched. But uh, I think there's two other characters we still need to talk about: uh, Angela Bassett's character, which is uh, T'Challa's mom. Uh, and then, uh, Forrest Whitaker's, uh, character, which is, you know, it, 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 
I, I was thinking during the movie, and uh, you know, in, in sort of researching and re- kind of refreshing my memory, because as we record this, I saw it last night. Um, you know, I, as I was watching it, I thought of the comparisons to Lion King, uh, but of course, it, it, you know, looking online, it seems I'm definitely not the only one who saw it. You know, you see uh, uh, T'Chaka as Mufasa, you see. Uh, T'Challa as Simba, you see Killmonger as Scar, and you see, uh, Forrest Whitaker's character as, like, Rafiki, you know, there's, there's, there's so much of it there. But yeah, I think, I think, uh, talking about, uh, Angela Bassett as T'Challa's mother, and, uh, and, uh, Forrest Whitaker's character, whose name I forget, uh, Zuri. Zuri, yes. I wanted to say Curry for some reason. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Zuri. Uh, I think, I, I I feel like it's sort of twofold with with the child's mother. There's not much to talk about there, but at the same time, you kind of, you, while there's not much there, you really felt her presence in the film. I think that's a that's a good assessment. Yeah, I mean, and, and I guess that just speaks to Angela Bassett's sort of acting ability, but like, or, or maybe T'Challa, the fact that T'Challa's dad is is dead. So it's just like, you know, you just really felt her there. She didn't do anything that, you know, would surprise you or shock you. She didn't, she didn't have any sort of key role or, or anything, but she, you, you, the, the times that she was on the screen, you knew who she was. Her, her presence had weight in that scene. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I think it was just really well done. I don't know if there's anything specific about her you want to talk about, but I think we should have, should have at least mentioned her. No, so. you're right. Uh, I think we should acknowledge her, and I agree. I think it's you know, it's Angela Bassett. She's good in everything. I do agree also that I don't necessarily think she had a presence in the movie, not just because it's Angela Bassett, but because of the, because you know you're playing somebody's mom. Whenever you're playing somebody's mom or stepmom, it's it's you know the reality is it's going to be. Especially when they, there's a good relationship there, as opposed to just you know being stereotypical, oh, and having a conflicted relationship. That it's a it's going to be a, it's an important character. It's clear that you know all the in, the inner circle of that family has a good relationship. I mean, Shuri, all of them have a good relationship. I think you're right that that she does kind of. It's really easy for her to fall into the background because yeah, she's not on screen all that much, and she. And the majority she falls of, into the background, but you don't forget she's there. This is true. Yeah, she literally yeah. is in the background because that's where she happens to be sitting for the most part. But, but yeah, her but her but her presence and felt, and obviously it's it takes on a little more importance at the end when you're kind of having you know the the typical there's a there's a revolution and you got and the you know the royal family has to go into hiding or else because they're public enemy number one because everybody because <laughs> the new people in power want them dead. <laughs> Yeah. No ties to the old regime. I but uh, Zuri, yeah. yeah his obviously because his char- Zuri's character was obviously incredibly important. And his Zuri's Zuri's character was pretty much the catalyst for almost everything that happened in the entire movie, uh, and the and the corresponding arcs for not just T'Challa but T'Chaka and Killmonger and everything because. 
because Zuri was the one who essentially was there. Was he? He he, he was spying on T'Chaka's brother, and unbeknownst <laughs> unbeknownst to him that he was a fellow Wakandan who was spying on him. So he's the one who helps, you know, who basically helped uh, set up that moment of truth between T'Chaka and his brother in, in the beginning, and then it was the the soon-to-be assassination of of Zuri that ended up forcing T'Chaka's hand, who ended up killing his brother, you know, to defend Zuri. So I think that, as some people pointed out too, Zuri kind of Zuri kind of plays an an Obi-Wan Kenobi like role too. And the fact that you know he not he he not only is kind of like kind of like a, almost like a wise myst kind of a wise mystic mentor, but he also is holding a very important secret that he's not revealing to his to his uh if you will his prize pupil his prize pupil that he he's not quite revealing all the, the true the true course of events and how how one thing is related to another and everything else and so I he it was a good character I mean it, it was in a way it was a little, to me I thought it was a little more laid back for for the for the majority of it seemed a little different performance for me for Forrest Whitaker not that I'm complaining about it it just didn't it just he just seemed to kind of slide into that supporting almost again that background kind of role and he, he kind of did it really well so I I liked it I liked him I should yeah. say yeah, I liked him too. I thought I thought that he was um you you really knew from and, and felt from the get go that he's the shaman, you know, of the tribe. Uh, but he's not because uh, that that sort of shaman character can come across as like spacey or uh, or very like unknowable. Uh, but he he was immediately. You could immediately identify with him in, instead of him being this sort of mystical, unreachable, ununderstandable sort of character. So I thought that was really well done that they chose to go that route instead of sort of making him the sort of crazy old kook, you know, sort of. Saw Guerrero? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that sort of, that, that sort of character, which a lot of people fall into those trappings of when it comes to the sort of. Uh, support slash, uh, you know, holding to the traditions of the tribe, sort of shaman sort of role, um, that, that comes up in various media. So I thought, I thought he was he definitely wanted to at least talk about him too. No, I agree. We were, I think, I kind of thought we were going to be, we were going to be working our way to, uh, working our way to him. I did, which is funny because he's, he's kind of, He's one of the bigger, he's one of the bigger names. Uh, well, the most, the one who's got, not one of the. He's one of your more go-to names on this. Obviously, Angela Bassett is too. Uh, Chadwick Boseman's becoming a big name. Obviously, Michael B. Jordan's kind of be- becoming a big name. Uh, but a lot of the main characters, you know, but. Uh, they, what's her name from Walking Dead? I forget her acting. Oh the yes, um, yeah, I know who you mean. Uh, she played uh, the Michonne. main, the general. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, but as far as you know, big, you know, big time, you know, big time uh, superstar names. Uh, yeah, but Denai Guria uh, is a Koye. Uh, well, you also have Andy Serkis and. Yeah, but he's in a supporting. Yeah, but I know. I mean, but but again, Andy. Serkis, have you seen that meme, by the way? 
Which one? The only two, the oh, only the tall, two white tol- guys. The Tolkien white guys, yes. I <laughs> yeah, the only two white guys in there are, are Bilbo Baggins and Gollum. <laughs> and Gollum, the, the Tolkien white guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it's People. Uh, creative. It is creative. Uh, yeah, I mean, a- a- Andy Circus does have a name, but much like um, Andy Circus, unfortunately, still is a. He's very talented. We know. I mean, I still annoys me he didn't, that because of their stupid rules in the academy that he can't get an academy award nomination. Because Lord knows, for Caesar, he should at least get. He should. He should at least get a special award. He should get a special award. Period. If you look at all the different characters he's played, motion capture. But at the very least, I mean, he 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 could. You could make a strong case he deserves one just for playing Caesar, just for the for the trilogy work, let alone what he did in in war. Uh, but Andy Serkis is another. Yeah, you know, he's he's another one who you know many people who like you know obviously fantasy fantasy or sci-fi films know who Andy Serkis is. But he's not a star. I mean he's 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 well known. He's he's a name, but he you know he's he doesn't put asses in the seats. Let's put it that way. So neither you know people a lot of people will know Martin Freeman too from from Sherlock Holmes and other things. And, and he besides obviously uh, the Hobbit, but. But still, there aren't there aren't there's not there aren't that many people that are there are some well known names. I mean, even Lupita is relatively well known at this point. But there's not there's like not guaranteed money here. So it is interesting that some of the people that have been around the longest that that you would think, oh, they're in that movie, they're in that they're in that movie. They're all you know the, that's kind of like the Forrest Whitaker and Angela Bassett's of the cast. So. Yeah, not ca- not counting uh, Stan Lee. <laughs> uh, Stan Lee, I I am kind of getting sick of those cameos though. I like it now that he's sort of a watcher. That's sort of cool. Yeah, well, well he's not a watcher. No, he was he, he an uh, agent of the Watchers. Or see, he didn't have to even be an agent of the Watchers. He's all all that scene in Guardians and Guardians Two just meant that it was Im- certainly implying what some people have speculated to begin with was that he essentially was the same guy playing these different roles in the different movies. And that then and the fact that he said and that one time and that you know and this time or that or that one time I was a Federal Express man, <laughs> which obviously was from Civil War. Um, Tony Stank. Tony Stank. That's not going away. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> that, that, that. Yeah, that that was that was a hot, that was that was a funny. That was one of his better cameos. That the, because it implies that his cameos mean something. But the, yeah, they're cute. I mean, they they are they are cute. But I'm not. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about with? Any particular point, character, anything like that? I'm trying to think if there's something else we didn't. Because we, we went over the the tag scenes. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I even talked a bit about the soundtrack. So. I'm just trying to. I, for someone who not just because because obviously this was more important to me on a personal level a few years ago, but I still have his ties. You know, I like I like the African vibe. So I like, I like the sound, the natural rhythms of Africa. I like the animals. I like the look, and I think they did capture a lot of the feel of Africa in this movie. Oh yeah, there's a, a, a an article I saw online that takes various stills from the movie, uh, particularly some of the the close-ups of various characters, like the guy who had the lip plate. 
Yes. Uh, they took like a photo of him and then they compared it to what region in Africa that sort of comes right. from. That's, that's right. That was so, in the video. That was in the video, I think. It's the link I sent you. Uh, no, there, it was before you sent the link. There was actual an article I was reading before you sent the link that that had that a bunch of those uh, in there. It, it may have it, it may have been like an article version of that section of the video or, or whatever, but uh, that I was reading. But anyways, yeah, there was a there's an entire article online that that sort of takes photo stills from the movie and, and says like you know this one is from Zimbabwe and and so so on and so forth. True. All right. Um, anything else before we close out? No. Um... Oh, I wanted to say, as you guys hear this, run out to your local Best Buy or whatever you got going on, because on Tuesday, Thor Ragnarok comes out on Blu-ray and DVD. It's already out on digital, so you can get it as you hear this digitally if you want, but if you're like me and want all this crap on Blu-ray, um, it comes out on Tuesday. That is March 6th. Yep, that's definitely, uh, that is definitely one I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be getting because there's not many, uh, I'm, I'm a little more, I'm a little more picky these days on what to, uh. Now I've got them all now, which means now I gotta get them all. <laughs> you mean what, all the Marvel or all the Thors? All or the Marvel. Both? I have, yeah, I have all the, I have, I have every movie so far. From Iron Man to uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, uh, I even have in here. And it makes me angry because they didn't mass produce this, and you have to like find special places to get it. I even have Agents of Shield season one on Blu-ray in here, which means I gotta get two and three and four. <laughs> um, and I guess technically Agent Carter now as well. But uh, but yeah, at the very least, I have all of the movies on Blu-ray. I have. I don't have all of them. I have a I have a bunch of them. Uh, I I am trying to be I'm trying to be a little more selective. It just seems like it's a uh, I don't like. I mean, I try to buy stuff that I know I'm that I know I'm going to at least have a shot of watching. Which oh is, right, for which, sure. Which is why I never bought Logan because Logan to me was a very it's very depressing. And yeah, maybe I'll watch it once, and I probably would watch the special features. But do I really think I'm likely to go back and just pop that movie in randomly? Something might inspire me for a reason. So, but do I really think that is that something I'm ever going to be in the mood just to pop in? Just if it's not, if it's not like being streamed somewhere, am I going to really have the have the desire to watch it? And and I just don't see that and like so i'm gonna i'm gonna get i'm gonna get thor ragnarok i'm going to get uh i'll get black panther when it comes out obviously infinity is a given but i've been i've been a lot more selective there's there's not as much especially this year i mean i'm i mean i'm probably gonna get last jedi as soon as it comes out but i wouldn't be surprised if i let that one sit a while um it all depends on the mood that i'm in just like I'm debating, I'm still debating about whether I want to even order the book now or whether I want to wait. I mean, they're making the book sound more interesting. Actually, they're making the book sound more interesting than the movie, because of all the different things that at least they touch upon in the in the book that that, that never were touched, that wasn't touched upon in the movie. Like Snoke's origins. Yeah, I mean stuff which is really annoying. I mean, it's really annoying that they they did this. We talked about it. I think we talked about it at the time. 
it's it's bad it's bad enough, and it's it is not it's not good business sense because it's you know what it kind of reminded me of it kind of reminded me for anybody that has ever watched like the Little Rascals in those in those shorts how they had that one when it was like the pay as you exit one when they're putting on the play. And it's like, and if you like to play, the kids, the other kids are supposed to pay as they pay as they exit, and they actually did because they like to play. But it's kind oh, of, the old black and white serial stuff, yep, right? Yep. Yeah, yep, I watched you, a lot of that too, yep, actually. Yep, pay as you exit. So it's that's kind of the strategy they were doing by having this book release like three to four months after the book norm, normally would have been released, and let alone like three months or so after the movie was released. You're losing your key, you're losing a huge part of the key audience by not releasing the book either before or when the movie comes out because historically that's when novelizations come out, adaptations come out usually historically before the movie comes out. And if you want to be super secretive, okay, release it exactly when the movie comes out. Don't release it four months after or three months after because you're really rolling the dice that people are going to be interested or as interested. And reading about this stuff. Now they're, they're obviously, let's be blunt, they're obviously trying to build up sales for this book now by trying to tell you, oh, get all this stuff that's in the book that wasn't in the movie. because, they, But they're also swimming upstream because, like we mentioned earlier, just talking about uh, the reception, to, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember which angle we were, the, the score, the, the critics, that obviously fans have been pretty divided about Last Jedi. So you've already hurt a certain percentage of the audience who would have probably bought the book to start with if you just released it right away. But now people have seen the movie <laughs> and already do and have made up their minds about the movie and it's a 50 it's kind of like if it's a 50 it's a 50/50 split give or take. And it's it's not a good business model. I mean, and it makes no sense from a spoiler perspective because we all we talk and I was really I was being way too conservative when I kind of made it sound like you know like a couple hours after Thursday night when the when the movie opens all the spoilers are going to be on the internet they were on the internet I think the Tuesday before the movie came out I think I knew all the spoilers for Last Jedi uh, by Tuesday night uh, because again because I think the movie probably I think the movie also opened in England earlier but it doesn't matter anymore I mean it's not Within an hour or so after the first showing of the movie anywhere, you're probably going to be able to find all spoilers for movies if you want on the internet. So the idea, so if that was if now if that was their motivation and not releasing the book, some now with the benefit of hindsight, it makes me wonder if maybe they weren't quite so sure that the movie was was going to go over as big as they wanted it to go over, because then it's not as horrible a marketing decision to say. Because just imagine if they released this book like two weeks before the movie came out and all the stuff that we know from the movie was spoiled way uh, even earlier because of people reading the book. And just imagine how that could have curtailed things. So maybe it, was a, maybe it wasn't just an internet spoiler thing why they did it. Uh, speaking of Last Jedi, obviously so far, at least domestically, uh, Black Panther is kicking the crap out of Last Jedi in the box office. <laughs> It is doing a, it is a thorough, thorough ass kicking as we speak, as we speak between these, as an 11 day total, the, uh, the, uh, Black Panther has almost 411, 411.8, uh, the 411, 800,000, give or take, it's a little underneath that, and Star Wars, Last Jedi was at 395.6. Um, so basically three nine four four one four. Four hundred eleven million seven and three hundred ninety-five million six, essentially, 
So there's a sizable. It just it's not it's not a huge ass kicking. It's 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 a considerable margin considering where you are, what when what where each movie was based on expectation originally, what it was right when it came out, and not just the hype, but when it was released. Star Wars obviously was released at a more likely time to do big bucks during the hol- the Christmas holiday than a movie being released in February. So uh, Black Panther is certainly doing quite well, and. And it's, it's certainly—I mean, my God—it's it's almost made a hundred million dollars more than Ultron, which is kind of. You amazing. made me curious. You made me curious now because I'm looking it up. I guess there is a novelization for the. For Black Panther. For the Black, yeah. Well, not really. Uh, yeah, I'm on Amazon too. Yeah, it's it's a Black Panther novel by Jesse Holland. Black Panther, who is the Black Panther prose novel. Um, what's interesting too is I've seen this, uh, but as a upcoming release for graphic audio, I think graphic audio is going to do an adaptation. But I looked up Black Panther novelization, and this is the only thing I could find. Yeah. So it's not—I don't think it's an action an out and out novelization because it was released last year. Yeah, there's a there's a junior novel. There is a junior novelization. I see that. Yeah. Um. Let's see. And of course, there's a pre uh, Black Panther, but it doesn't seem to be an actual adult novelization, which just makes me, cu- which just makes me curious, because I never really thought about this. If there were actually full-on novelizations for, uh... I'm pretty sure there was one for Iron Man, but I don't think there was one for, like, I think there was some at the beginning of the MCU, but I don't think there was some for all of them. Yeah, I don't. I think with the with the more it looks like it looks like with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just look, cause I just looked up Civil War to see if to see if there was one. Um, let's see, there is this. There is this. What is this? Uh, no, that's uh, no. Again, that's for young readers. So it does. So it doesn't look like, for the most part, it doesn't look like Marvel, which makes sense based on the based on the, what the source material is. That doesn't look like they necessarily release official novelizations for the MCU for the MCU uh, movies, like like there would be novelizations for normal movies. Lots of art books. There's like art books for almost every one, but it does not look like there's there's a straight up novelization for almost any of the uh, any of the the ones. I mean, I've already I punched in Guardians of the Galaxy. I punched in uh, Civil War. So there might be a few, but you're right. Iron Man would make sense, maybe, maybe the based on the context and when it came out and things like that. But I don't know if they if they release. It's certainly not like normal movies where they would do that. You know, if it was a Terminator movie, there'd be a book. If there was a so it's 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 a little different, but yeah, there's one for Iron Man. Author Peter David, pages 320, out April 2008. So there's one for the OG Iron Man. And April would have been before was before it came out, which is when it should be. Which is when historically, you know, novelizations do come out. That was, yeah, that was that was part of the problem with the thing. And I, I had a, and I had, and I think we mentioned this too. I I had a problem. I had a problem with uh, when they did this for the Force Awakens too. That they were that they decided to they decided to push back the release 
of they decided to push back the release of the not the heart which and this made no sense either they still allowed the Kindle book to come out on the date it was released whether it was the 18th or the 15th whatever the hell that Friday was at midnight the actual release date of uh, for Fa- Force Awakens they were so they uh, they pushed back the hardcover release until January, which was dumb because you just lost a lot of your, potentially your Christmas sales unless they were counting on the people who had pre-ordered and they were screwed. But they still allowed the digital book to be released, you know, basically at twelve twelve o'clock and one second on the day the movie was going to be released. It's like if you were going to delay one of them, you would think you'd want the hardcover to come out because that means either if you're getting it delivered, it's still going to have to physically arrive that day because of the street date. It can't arrive early. So the earliest, depending on when people get mail, like, like what late morning might be the earliest you could get it. And if you were, had to run out to the, if you were, had to went to run out to a bookstore or to the mall to get it, you're still going to have to, assuming that it was other than Barnes and Noble, since there really aren't bookstores anymore, that if you're going to like the mall and just a general store, you have to hope that they actually put the merchandise out. But even if you went to Barnes and Noble, you still have to physically drive there and get the book after they open, as opposed to the digital book that you know, like once you've already, if you've already ordered it, all you have to turn on is your is your your Kindle or your Nook or whatever, and it, and you download it like like two like ten seconds after midnight on the, on on the date the movie comes out, then you can start reading it, even if you go. Even if you were going to go see them like a seven o'clock showing of the movie that night, you could you absolutely would have time potentially to finish the book, and to to, to talk about it if you wanted to. That's why that. But historically, these you know, these books they you know they they came out before. I mean that's when, that's when these books were supposed to come out. They historically had come out before. I mean, I mean I read, I mean I read revenge, I read revenge, you know revenge of the. Revenge of the Sith came out. Revenge of the Sith came out before that movie came out. Attack of the Clones came out. I'm pretty sure Phantom Menace came out. I know I read Jedi and Empire before I saw those movies. And I'd I'd bet the mortgage Star Wars, the original book, was out too because nobody knew what the hell Star Wars was and there was no anticipation. So that would make perfect sense for that book to come out first because you'd want to get the additional sales from people who just saw it and liked the cover and, and or, or to grab it. That wouldn't make any sense to hold that off. There's no spoilers there. Certainly back, now back in 1977, you had to worry about that. So I just think it's an odd, it's a really odd decision related to to Last Jedi, and especially now that that movie is not as well received, it's it's even more, so I might I'm probably going to get the book to be a completist. I might end up just getting I might actually get the hardcover if it's marked depending on how much it's marked down for or wait just because I technically speaking have a physical copy of every book only cause my mom actually for present I don't remember if it was a late Christmas present because of the pushback on the release date or it was a birthday present but she actually got me the hardcover of the Alan Dean Foster adaptation of uh, Force Awakens so even though I had already got the Kindle version and read it she had gotten me the hardcover, so I still physically have a an, an edition, whether paperback or hardcover, of all the novelizations of every episode. So I might end up sucking it up and, and doing that, depending on the price or wait until it gets marked down. But it's really a risky strategy. I can't imagine that it's going to be super, super, super successful. Not as successful as it would have been if they just released it right, either right before the movie came out or the day the movie came out. I, I don't see how it wouldn't have done more more business then before people's minds were made up one way or the other. So. All right. Anything else? No, I think we rambled on it for a good amount of time. 
All right. Uh, you want to go ahead and close this out then? Sure. Uh, best way to contact us, lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, visit our website, lanterncast.com. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast, to locate us on either of those iTunes and Stitcher on both, whichever platform or both that you listen to us on. Please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. And let us know what you think. All right, guys. Uh, next episode, it'll oh, be, something Green Lantern yeah, related. It'll be, it, it, it'll, it'll be Green Lantern. Probably, probably, I think we'll do a couple of issues of Hal in the Core. Because of some... I know my personal take is at least the Zod stuff is more interesting than the uh, the dating app story. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.